Uh, Kelly. Hagee. What's going on? Uh, you know, not not too much. Not too much. Are you setting it on automatic? <laughs> um, are you? Ta- Wait, what? Are you talking about my nest? Oh, let's talk about your nest. Let's talk about my nest and how it doesn't work, and I'm cold. What is the temperature outside <laughs> right now for you? Uh, it is 15 degrees, a balmy 15 degrees. What's the temperature inside? 65. Is that which is too uh, cold? Comfortable? Too cold. Yes. I know some people believe that 65 is a prime household temperature, but I'm a 70 to 72 degree person. It's very, that's very efficient of you to keep it at 65. It's not It's not my choice. Ah. The nest does not like me. It prefers my spouse. But um, I see. We all have our favorites and the nest has their favorite. So the nest adjusts to uh, your husband's temperature preferences. Um, it adjusts with his phone. And mm. when he leaves the house, it uh, thinks that there's nobody here. And so it automatically goes down to our daily temperature. Which is very interesting and also topically <laughs> relevant to today's episode. Really? What? How does my nest have anything to do with lunch hour legal marketing, Gee? Because we're talking <laughs> automations. And if you get your automations wrong, you might be sitting in the cold. Oh my gosh, that's so good. You are, a, you are one clever guy. Boom. Well, after Guy's cleverness, let's just roll into the episode. Here is our interview with Casey Cheshire. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Guy Sakalakis and Kelly Street. Teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice. Here on Legal Talk Network. And welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. Kelly, how are you today? Hey, Guy. I am so good. Ready to talk MA, not martial arts. M.A., Mergers and Acquisitions. Yes, yes, sir. That is exactly correct. We cover all the serious stuff on this podcast, but seriously, we are actually not talking about anything. Well, it's pretty serious. It's kind of serious. You think it's serious? I think it's serious. Yeah. Serious business. Without further ado, I will welcome our guest, Casey Cheshire from Cheshire Impact. Casey! Tell these good people that are listening to this podcast a little about yourself. Oh my gosh, I am so happy to be here. I was all I could do not to laugh during that intro. I've loved listening to this show and talking to you all. So great to be here. Uh, like you're saying, my name is Casey, Casey Cheshire from Cheshire Impact. And what we do is we help organizations with their marketing and sales automation, their marketing and sales technology. 
awesome, which we are, our, many of our listeners, maybe some of them don't, but many of our listeners I know because they tell us, are in desperate need for some expertise in this area. So we are excited to dive in to today's topic, marketing automation. So I know we have some uh, canned questions, but what the heck is marketing automation? I was at this conference recently and lawyers stood up there and said, watch out. There's a new buzzword out there called marketing automation. And I was like, number one, it's not that new. Yeah, and, it's not. <laughs> and then number two, why are we so scared of it? They had a total misunderstanding of what it is. So why don't we hear from a true expert? How would you describe or define marketing automation? Well, whoever said it wasn't new, if, if that was you, you're correct. It's not new. In fact, I've been working with it for about 10 years now. And it has changed the shape of marketing campaigns companies, even careers by actually using this technology. So it's not a new thing, but for a lot of folks who haven't adopted it, it may seem new and it's definitely something to get on, especially before your competitors get on it. And when it comes to talking about what is this thing, I like to start with just saying, look, your time is important, right? Whether it's a billable hour or just the fact that you have limited hours in the day, human time, especially the boss, especially the high rollers, your time is limited and it's valuable. And so you want to use that time as best as possible. And whenever possible, you want to use a computer, use automation to do those tasks that can take on the heavy lifting around marketing, around sales, around getting the messages out, around nurturing your potential buyers, your potential customers, potential clients, doing that work for you so that you can free up your time to do what you're getting paid to do. And so when it comes to what does marketing automation do, there's just a couple simple words. Uh, I like to boil it down to capture, nurture, automate. And I added reporting in there. But that's how it was first explained to me back in the day when I first learned, first bought the tool. Uh, I used like to use this tool called Pardot, but there's a lot of different ones out there. And the capture, very simply, is you capture more leads. You capture more client potential clients off your website. So you've got a site out there, and sometimes that form is really long, and no one likes to fill out a 12-field form. So if you got one, there's things you can do to improve that. Every field you get rid of on your form increases your conversion rate from anywhere from half a percent to several percent points. That means more people filling that thing out just from asking less questions. Uh, and so these forms will dynamically adjust to be as small as possible so you'll get as many people filling them out as possible. And that's the capture side. And then on the nurture side, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this where someone says, you know, this sounds great. I, I think you can help me. I think we should work together but something, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've got to do this. I've got to call this other person. I've got to, I don't know, some kind of excuse, it sounds like. And you're not sure, are they being polite and brushing you off? Or do they really want to talk? And so maybe you set a reminder to call them in six months like they asked. But sometimes, they call this the danger zone. Sometimes people are ready to go three months later. Even though they said six months, it's three months later. And what happens? Are, there's no obligation to call you back. They may do their research, find your competitor, call them back and start doing the shopping with them. And then you call them six months later and they said, well, we already signed up with another group. Sorry. Right. So this is the danger zone. So nurturing helps with this. Nurturing is simply maybe that email you would be sending out yourself manually, just checking in with someone. Happy holidays. Thanksgiving's coming up. 
or already passed whenever you're listening to this, you know, just a quick little check-in. You can automate those check-ins. You can automate those little emails that are friendly. They're not salesy. You're not trying to pitch anything. They're just little personal check-ins. You can automate that so you stay top of mind with people. So that's the nurture side. So we've got capture, nurture, automate. That's the idea of, well, do I need to hire a bunch of people to run around and, and, and move potential clients from one side to another and all these, well, you can automate a lot of those processes and the computer doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to breathe. It could be, it can be assigning you new potential prospects at, at night, whenever they come in and it's constantly listening for people. And the whole goal is to engage, to spend your human time with people that are ready to go right now. If they're not ready to go, let the computer continue to nurture them. But as soon as they're boiling, that teapot's kind of starting to whistle then it's like, okay, quick, send them over to the attention of someone that can reach out to them and call them and actually get them in the door. And that's the automate side. And then finally, hope I haven't been talking too long, finally is reporting and ROI. Understanding that if you tried something new, you tried a radio ad, you tried a new program, you did some marketing, and you spent 5K, 50K on some kind of thing, an event, AdWords, anything, how did it do? Is it working? Is it not working? Things like marketing automation, these tools are built to be able to tell you that. They're built to be able to tell you, you spent 10 grand on that event, you met 80 people at that event, and four of them turned into something like half a million dollars in revenue, and hey, that sounds like a good event. Let's do that every year because it worked out. And if the opposite happens, if you didn't really get anyone of quality at that event, let's not do that event next year. Let's do a different thing. Let's repurpose those marketing funds. That's marketing automation. Capture, nurture, automate, and reporting. Love it. Yes. Love the way you boiled that down. So you typically are in the world of Salesforce and Pardot, which typically is larger businesses, but I know you know all all sizes and types of businesses. So when you're thinking about a small company, small business, aka small law firm in this case, where you know, maybe they have just a few people on staff. What is the first step that a company can take to integrate marketing automation and put that into place and practice? Yeah, that's a good question. And and yeah, these tools are scalable. So you do see the the larger firms having them. But what's cool is that the pricing on things like Salesforce and Pardot, it's flexible. So you don't need to you know, if you only have two people in the system, that's okay. You're only paying for two people. You know, you don't have to necessarily invest a lot of money to be able to get into these systems. And they just track everything for you. And it makes it very scalable. So for the companies that don't want to scale, for the firms that are kind of cool hanging out with the, the areas that they're at and they don't necessarily want to grow, some other tools, you know, some other you know, smaller tools might be appropriate. But for those groups that are really looking to grow and, and dominate a marketplace or really kind of expand and add more partners, those are the kind of firms that would look to something like a Salesforce or and a Pardot as well. Those two in conjunction really help you grow because then you can add different users. You just click a button and now you've added another um, another person to the mix. And so it's very scalable. So to your question about the first step, where do you start? Really, what I like to tell people is thinking about 
who are the different types of groups, different types of people you would reach out to? Um, do you have, and there's a term in marketing called buyer personas. I don't know if you've talked about that before, but the idea of who are the different types of people you'd reach out to and what would you want to say to them? What, what kind of questions are they asking when they're either seeking you out or they don't even know to seek you out because they don't even realize there's an issue that they should be on the lookout for. So who are the groups you're looking to talk to and what do you want to say to them? Those are really the... The, the prep work, if you will, the work you would want to do beforehand before necessarily jumping into the tech side. Nice. Got it. One of my things, and I, I loved how you outlined this topic, and I want to I kind of go deep, put you on the spot. So let's start with capture. So I'm starting to implement my marketing automation system. I listened to Casey, so I got to start with capture. And he said a couple of th- some nuggets in there that I really wanted to go really deep on. One yeah. is this idea of the ability to convert on forms based on the number of fields or the stuff that you request. So what are some of the things that lawyers should be thinking about? You know, on the one hand, you could say, well, you got one field. I, I would get, I, my hunch is it's probably emails, the, the essential field to be able to get them into something like this. But what kind of fields should lawyers be thinking about in terms of doing intake to get people into their marketing automation system? Yeah. Got a question for you. Are you, are you a married man? I am, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and here's a question for you and for everyone listening too. How many dates did you go on before you popped the question, before you got married? And, and if you're listening to this and you're not married, imagine, if you will, how many dates do you imagine you'd want to go on with someone before you maybe got married to them forever? Do you want me to answer that uh, question? Yeah, we could go. Oh, this is going to be good, Casey. Kelly, you too. How, how many dates? <laughs> Seven years worth. Seven years worth? I, uncountable. Uncountable. So probably more than 50? Yes. Uh, let's, uh, we can take an average between Guy and I because <laughs> before I got engaged, I went on an average of three months worth of dates. Okay. Three so, months. Good. So, so mix the two of us together and that, that's pretty normal. That's fine. No, <laughs> Kelly's, that, Kelly's probably way more normal than I am, by the way. No, I mean, for me, it was like three years, too. It was okay. three years and a, what are we doing? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, right. So, in all of those answers work. Now, th- what I haven't heard from anyone, at least I haven't met anyone that's gone to Vegas, I haven't heard like one, right? It, and I don't think anyone listening to this would imagine you'd go on one date with someone and then get married. Send us your emails if you have. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Please do. (laughs) So, so then why the question is then why, why would we expect our future clients, the prospects, if you will, the people that maybe are interested in us, why would we expect anything different from them? Oftentimes we're trying to get married with them on the first form. We're asking them to tell us everything about them, right? Tell us your intimate details. Maybe they're just wanting to get some information. Maybe they're interested in that that study paper that shows you know the top 10 reasons why you should look into this particular type of thing or how to protect yourself from a particular type of uh, suit, right? Maybe they're just kind of browsing information. They're just kind of looking to date, right? And then we're saying, hey, let's get married, right? And so what we want to do is reverse this. It, nobody wants to get married. Maybe there's a few percent of people, right, to go to Vegas and have a good time. They'll fill out that big form. There's a lot of people on your site right now that don't want to fill that out. And so they won't. But those would be great people for you to get on your list, to nurture them, to teach them, to give them some good content once a month, a podcast like this. Maybe it's content. Maybe it's white papers. Maybe just a little blog post once a month, a couple times a week. They can learn from us, really grow to trust us, and then sign up to work with us. 
And so the whole goal of what we're trying to do is shift businesses and firms from thinking about the one night stand with your future clients to getting in a relationship with them. And so the idea is don't ask everything up front, right? Don't ask. I, I once saw a forum that, that asked me my annual set, like salary. What's your, what's your gross take home? I'm like, hello, we've just met. And it was a required field. I had to fill it out. So what you do, get in that situation is people either reject the form completely and go away or they lie to you. And that doesn't help. Now you've asked information. You've started out your relationship with a lie, right? It's like somebody putting a, the, a, the wrong photo in their dating profile at the very beginning. Like that's not off to a good start. And so rather than forcing that, what we say is, look, have a short, efficient form that maybe just says name, first name, last name, email, maybe a company if you work with corporate accounts. Or what I always like to see is a, a drop down at the end of that first form that kind of has a little categorization. And and it's not a, a free text field where you just tell me tell me your life story. No, no, no. I want to know. And sometimes if it's a company, I ask your role. What's your role in a question? Are you in the sales side? Are you an executive? Are you IT? Because I'm going to talk to IT a lot different than I'm going to talk to a sales rep, right? Or a, a sales VP, different persona. So I want to know that right off the bat. Who am I talking to? So I can give you a really good nurture tailored to you afterward. But that's it. I don't even ask phone number on the first form because... Most people don't want to do that, right? It's like getting a phone number when you first meet someone. Do you ask them right away? No, maybe at the end of the night or maybe email. You, you swap Instagrams these days or whatever it might be. But thinking about how we could date the people we want to work with, consistent long-term relations, that's where the, that's where the great clients come from, the ones that are going to work with us for years. Oh, really I good love, points. I love that analogy so much. It, I mean, it's just to break it into, I always say one of my one of my kind of go-to analogies is, or kind of mentalities for thinking about the the sales process or the client development process is, you do this every day. The client only does this, you know, for a family lawyer or a um, personal injury attorney. You know, the client only does this maybe once in their life. And so yeah. you have to think about where they're coming to the relationship from versus where you're coming to it from. I just, thank you. Absolutely. No, it makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, to uh, translate for some of our lawyers out there that are listening to this and are maybe struggling with the context, you lawyers out there that are leading the relationship with your full intake form, that's what Casey's talking about, right? Mm -hmm. When you come to your website for the first time and you're hitting them with the entire intake form that includes all of this stuff that, that eventually you need after they've signed the retainer right? Or after yeah. you've already developed a relationship with them. So, you know, if, if you're, if you're at home listening to this, go check out your website, go check out your contact page, go check out your intake page. Are you putting all, you know, how many, how many requests for information do you have of people that may be the first time they've come to your site? And get them signed up, right? And maybe over time, and one of the things you can do with this capture side, this Pardot or in these tools is called progressive profiling. So every time they come to the form, different forms, it can ask them different questions. So instead of having that, I love that you, you translated that too, that intake form of, of all of your questions, maybe the first time they come get some content, they fill out some things, and then other times they come back, they fill out other things. Now, that doesn't mean you, you can't have this form. For sure, we always have the option. There's always a, a form on the site that says, 
you know, here's the let's get serious about this thing and you have something happening right now and you need some sure. urgent response, by all means, have that form because they will fill out all of it. But a lot of people are doing that prep work or they're doing the survey work. They're not even sure if they're dealing with something right now and they just want some counsel. There's some, some wisdom they can rely on. And when I think of word of mouth, right, even if that person doesn't become a client, but they're on your list and you're giving them good content continually, maybe they're forwarding that email to other people. And maybe they don't become a client, but you know they might introduce you to five other people that do. So I love to just capture people right away, get them on that list, and then sort out the rest later. Love it. All right, let's move on to the next one, nurture. And this one, I think, is particularly problematic. I think they're in the legal context. My hunch is, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, but there's a real lack of patience out there. So people, you get you get them on your list or whatever you sign them up for, and then you start hammering away on the emails. And so many of these emails that we see are these uh, quote unquote nurturing campaigns. You know, when I see them, they're so focused on the lawyer. You know, how many years the lawyers have been practicing, where they went to law school, all of these awards they have. Tell us some of your thinking about how you start to build your nurture process. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a favorite radio station. And I think the more modern equivalent is now my favorite Spotify playlist. <laughs> um, though I'm kind of getting partial to this particular podcast because you guys are fantastic. So it, it's called WIIFM. I don't know if you've heard of that, that channel or that station. I have um, not. It's, Learned it's something new. What's in it for me? Uh, what's in it for oh. me? And a long time ago, <laughs> I had a marketing leader tell me about this radio station and say, make sure you're tuned into this. And it's a question that I always ask myself. It's really the question. You're going to send a nurture email out or what you think is an email to nurture that relationship. Just ask for a second, what's in it for me? Put yourself in the recipient's shoes and say, what's in this particular email that's going to be beneficial to them? And I know, especially the people listening to this, you're critical. You are good at the details. That's why you're here. That's why you've been successful. Put yourself in their shoes and be just as critical and be just as, you know, like cynical and say, is this worth my time? Right. We all know what you're billing. I know what you're billing. Is this worth your time to read this email you're sending someone else right now? And if the answer is no, don't send it because you're just hurting that relationship. Uh, it's like it's like the needy person back to that relationship example. Right. But they tell you to wait a couple days before you before you harass that that girl you just got a phone number from at same are you going to you going to text oh uh, how you doing you know like right you got to you got to have some patience there and it, what's in it for me and here's a good example you just redesigned your website so what does everyone want to do hey let's blast an email to our entire list to say guess what we have a brand new website now i'm proud of you you spent a lot of time and effort i'm sure you spent thousands of dollars on this thing and it's Internally, a very, very cool accomplishment. Maybe you emailed your internal team, you have them all check out your website. But do I care about your website? No. Do you care about my website? No. Then why does everyone on your list care about your website? They don't. So don't send that. Every email that you send, think of it as either a plus or a minus to that relationship. If it's helpful, you get a plus. If it's a minus, you get a negative. And you get a couple under under zero, and you're getting an unsubscription. You're getting people dropping you, never going to utilize you. And if you get unsubscribed from any of these tools, you're gone. You're dead to me. It, it means you can't ever email them again. Even if you can call them, all these other things, you can't email them. 
And so you got to be very cautious about that and very, you know, very exacting. Is that thing, what's in it for me? Is this the station I want to turn into? And, and are you, are you tuned into it when you're sending out that email? And if not, then don't. Yeah. I mean, that, that mindset is so incredibly helpful because in the legal field, lawyers are noticing that it's changing from having a person come in and sign a retainer and become a client right there to a potential client going, actually, I have three other lawyers that I'm going to be meeting with and I'll let you know if you're the one that I choose. And so the nurturing side of things is a whole new system that that lawyers and law firms need to get used to that they haven't had to do in the past. For sure. Nothing beats that personal touch, right? Someone comes in and you teach them something. Man, if, if I have someone teach me something, I had this other day on my podcast where someone just actually taught me a couple things, blew my mind. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'd never thought of that before. Man, they're, they're good in my book. Like, what do you need? Can I refer you to someone? Can I work with you? Like, nothing beats that. But the challenge is you can't meet with everyone, right? And you want to kind of use this system to figure out. And we'll talk about automate, how you can kind of screen people out. But at the same time, on the nurturing, you could build your best nurturing, your best content, those aha moments, you can build them into emails. So it, maybe not everyone can come in right away, but you can give them those aha moments systematically, programmatically in an email and have the same kind of an effect. And, you know, one example I like to use is the newsletter. If you're sending a newsletter, you're in the old days. You're behind. And, um, and here's the challenge with newsletters. Most of the best newsletter content is done within the first three months, especially if you're sending every week. If you send every month, give it six months, all your best content's out the door, what do you have left? And here, here's an example of that, our story. I was writing for, I'm, I'm up in New Hampshire, wherever everyone was at. And I was writing for this New Hampshire travel magazine, like a tourism magazine, it just, just for fun on the side. And you get to go to places, explore them, and write about them in this travel magazine. Well, New Hampshire is not the largest of states, right? We're not the tiniest. We're not, we're not Rhode Island, but we're also not Texas. So after about a year and a half, two years of writing for this magazine, man, the topics got kind of hard to come by. I mean, we started out writing about all these fun things and it, it came down to, at the end, model railroad museums in upstate New Hampshire because we had already written about the best stuff. And so what ends up happening is this same type of thing happens with your newsletter. Some of your best content happens when you first launch your newsletter. Really good articles about those really need-to-know things. They happened. But the problem is, what happens to someone that comes in seven months later or seven issues later. Well, they don't get to see your best stuff. And because it's a newsletter, it's like a newspaper, you're never going to recycle that because you don't want to turn off the people that are continuing to read it. So they don't get to see that. Well, with, with nurturing, the idea is you create a series of emails with your best content. And it's evergreen content. It's the stuff that, like a, like a tree outside in the wintertime, it's going to stay green. It's always something that's going to be valuable to the recipient. So you have your first email with some killer aha moment content, your second email, your third, your fourth, your fifth. And what's cool about nurturing is when someone gets added to that list, they receive the first one, then the second one, then the third one on their own schedule. Everyone else that comes in, if I come in like nine months later, I still get your first email, then your second email, then your third email. So your, your best, and you can, you can really optimize this, your best email content, your best aha moments can be programmatically scheduled to go out so that everyone that comes in gets your best newsletter content. Love it. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we will keep giving you guys some killer content. Thanks. 
If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we are back and we are talking marketing automation and we are moving in to the automation portion of today's program. And one of the things I hear a lot of resistance to about automation, I can't wait to hear Casey's thinking on this, is, well, okay, so we just used all this dating analogy, building relationship, nurturing. Isn't automation antithetical to that? Isn't that going to create some inauthenticity or feel not real? Um, How do we address these issues? And, And how do we even think about like what things can be automated? Casey, tell us what we need to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a great criticism. It's accurate. Uh, done right, marketing automation can care at scale. Done wrong, it just simply does more of your bad marketing more. Um, if you've got terrible emails that are all about you and your new practice and, and where you got your law degree from, things that nobody cares about, and you put it into marketing automation, well, guess what? More people are going to get your bad marketing. So for sure, it is not a cure-all just to have the technology. You got to actually be sending good quality content, things that people want to read, things that are going to help them. They're going to answer their questions, give them a, a direction to go when they have a challenge. So you still need to do it right. But if you do do it right now, like with a newsletter, like with those nurtures, you're getting your best things in front of the right people. So 100% agree, you got to have the right thing. But if you do it the right thing, then that automation takes the heavy lifting off of your hands. A lot of times I bump into firms that they have that monthly campaign. Maybe it's a newsletter, or maybe they have a one-off email every month. And again, it, their best ones were a year ago when they started doing this. Now they're they're not really sure what to send. And so they're sending weird things out like about the Thanksgiving giveaway or something. But once a month, they're spending time and they're getting things created and going through the motions. And, you know, do people actually read it or not? They're not sure. But there's a lot of busy work. But if you take a step back and think, okay, let's plan this in advance. You know, how many emails, what kind of cool content do we have that's really valuable to people? Let's schedule that out. Let's get it automated then we can have this really good stuff. And it can be personalized too. We're not talking about a spam message, right? We're not talking about uh, buy now or hire me now or become a client now. Click here to give me a retainer. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about really helpful information that drives people to really trust us and want to get in an ongoing business relationship with us, right? Uh, sign up, right? So we're, we're, we're sending these valuable things to people over time and then they're just going to be like, yeah, get me some of that. Right. And I think that's the thing, too, that folks that are listening uh, should at least take in consideration is the more value that you're adding, the more latitude you're going to be given on the automation side of things. Right. So I think people, you know, when we sign up for something, you know, we've already captured there's a certain expectation today that there's going to be some nurturing and some automation going on. And I think people are generally okay with that, assuming that you're delivering on the value and assuming you're personalizing something that matters to them, right? For sure. And I think part of automation is a two-way street. You don't want to talk to everyone. 
<laughs> and right. and they're the people that maybe they're tire kickers, maybe they're overselling themselves, or they're just not your ideal client. They're just not a good fit. And hopefully you've identified, you know, what that person might be or, or organization if you work with those. Uh, so you can build that into the automation as well. Again, it's almost like having your own marketing coordinator. I remember when I first got marketing automation, right before getting it, I was like telling the CEO, I need I need support in marketing. I can't do this all alone. I need a marketing coordinator. I need someone, need someone. And then we got the tool and I stopped asking because actually I, it was good. I, we started automating things and, and I was able to free my time up to do more strategic marketing things. Like where else could we find potential new clients? Where else could we go and test out new sources instead of letting me do the busy work all the time? I think, I think old school marketing is all about the activity, all about the busy work. How many emails did we send this month? The new marketing is all about how many people are getting nurtured automatically. Where are we going to try to find new sources of leads and new sources of clients? Yes. It's the bad automations that are giving uh, giving automations a bad name. Yeah. And the good ones are giving people more time to do other work that that is important and matters more. For and sure. So I listened, I listened to a whole bunch of other podcasts, but I was listening to one with um, a CEO of a t-shirt company the other day, and he was talking about how they've gained so much PR for their email automations. And uh, he was talking about how they're a simple thing of their confirmation email for when someone makes a purchase is it just sets them apart from every other competitor out there. And so I would say as a challenge to all of our listeners, when someone fills out a form, take a look at that automated email that you send to them, thanking them for signing up for your email list or thanking them for submitting their information. Take a look at that automated email that gets sent out and see how you can add a bit of your buyer persona into that. What are the kinds of things that are, you know, what's in it for them that you could add to, even though it's an automated email, make it a little bit more personal for your law firm? Challenge accepted. I love it. <laughs> cool. Now, potentially for some people, the most important part of all of this, and, and I've been on a, so I'm going to be a little, well, we're talking reporting here. I think there's huge opportunity for improvement on reporting and understanding attribution. And I, and I want to get into some of the things, that, how that actually works. Um, but one of the things that's been kind of like in my craw recently, and I, I think that this is maybe we're at the front end of this problem, but that people are in this like direct response mindset where it's like they want to see, you know, in our context here, they want to see capture, nurture, nurture, nurture emails we've automated some things and then up oh, direct response. And so we've got a straight line, but it seems to me, especially for legal services consumers, their journey is so all over the place. You know, Google's talks, micro moments and all this stuff. So talk to us about some of the things that we, we should include in our reports, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm leading you too much here, but it seems to me also that we're so stuck in this attribution, direct response mindset that we forgot that we're trying to build this relationship. So how do we build a report that kind of does both those things, shows us our return on investment, but also doesn't give us such like blinders to just be like, oh, this didn't work because I sent four emails and they didn't sign up. For sure. You know, I, I think I, I would, you know, I'll take a step back and before we even get to the reporting side, I mentioned earlier the activity mindset, right? So I think whether you're a firm, a company, a, a marketer, or related to this, I think a lot of times the old mentality 
um, was more of that, I don't want to say B2C, almost like you're selling sneakers. I was working at a company and I remember bumping into the CEO, this back in the day, little Casey day, and I was just a marketing <laughs> manager. And the CEO, I think he swung by lunchtime and he said, hey, Casey, because that's how CEOs talk. That's how he talks, right. And, and he's like, how many emails did we send this month? And, you know, I don't always know the details, but I thankfully knew that detail. And I said, well, actually, it's about a million um, this month. And he was like, oh, that's great. Next month, let's send a million and a half, <laughs> right? And Ugh. we weren't selling sneakers. We weren't selling ice cream. We were selling this complicated IT software that takes months to purchase. And it's not like another half a million emails to the same people is going to do anything. You know, I, and I get and sometimes with some brand recognition and depending on what kind of firm you are, maybe you need a little bit of that brand recognition but it's got to be a positive recognition. It's just sent blasting another half a million emails out to the same people. All it can do is annoy them, right? Annoy them like, oh, what's he? Uh, this this email is useless. My inbox is busy enough. Get out of here. You're you're blocked now. I don't want you in my inbox anymore. And so that was that activity mindset. And so the cool thing was when I shifted over and I, I adopted marketing automation, I was able to start showing some ROI. So I would say the first things first is is to get off of activity metrics, right? Or if, if your firm has someone doing some marketing, let's get beyond how much they're doing. It really doesn't matter how many emails you're sending. That doesn't really have any direct correlation. You're not selling Adidas, right? So it doesn't have any direct correlation to, to the results. And so with marketing automation, you can start to show these things. And, and so to get to your question, Guy, about, you know, it isn't a straight path from start to finish. And, and how do we look at these things? I really divide it into that first touch ROI and the multi-touch ROI. And so what I like to say is the first things first, first touch ROI, that's your source. Where did I meet these people that became clients? And that's a little bit more of that direct response. And it's not always clear. And sometimes it might take longer than you think, longer than selling shoes, establishing a client relationship, but to at least be able to show that I met all these people you know, in this networking event or from the podcast or wherever it was from. And the system's keeping track. You don't have to keep looking at it, but eventually when down the line people become clients, you can look back and say, where did they come from? Because I think that the key question in marketing and for your marketing efforts is always, well, what's working and what's not working so that we can right. improve and we can grow and optimize and expand and just stop wasting money, but also start growing by taking that wasted money, put it in the stuff that's actually working. So what's working? Where do I meet more of the people that are great clients? You know, if you looked at your top 20 clients, where do they come from? How did I meet them? And then you invest more into that. So I love just focusing on just saying, be able to say, okay, if you invested money or time, be able to show where did these top clients come from? And to your point that multi-touch understanding, well, what kind of activities happen in the middle that maybe threw them over the over the cliff to eventually want to work with me? That's a lot more of a gray area. Like you at least know where you met someone. Um, if you're tracking it right, if you're using marketing automation, you can you can actually see that. And it's clear as day, black and white in numerical format. You spent this much money, it became this amazing client. And maybe you can even show uh, as well, if you enter that in your, to your system, you can show how much money on return you made from that small little investment in that event or that that AdWords campaign. Um, the multi-touch stuff, understanding all the different touches in between, that's a little bit more advanced. And I only want people, and we only advise our clients to do that 
once they've done everything else with marketing automation. So you've got all these different nurtures happening, you're all these different marketing things happening, you're really robust. We have a roadmap for marketing automation and there's 10 steps to it. When you've done all nine before that, then you hop into that multi-touch because you're right, it isn't very clear. And so to try to measure that internal stuff gets very sketchy. So that only happens when you're done all the baseline, the foundation work. Right. And then the one other, the other thing that comes up a lot is because in these systems, they start to churn out all sorts of data, right? They're all of these different metrics. Beyond ROI, are there any ones that you like to advise clients on that kind of keep on, on your short list of, of your eye on to kind of tell that you're moving in the right direction? Yeah, I'd I like to look at, at the key moments that happen. And, and so the first, it, just think of like, you know, all the different touches that happen, all the different transitions. What are the different key moments? And, and really create a little marketing funnel to understand, okay, well, how did I first meet these people? So that first meeting is very important. How did, not, not the first meeting in person, but like how did we first get their information? And it's that source. So that source is critical. And also that last touch, which is, you know, when did they sign up and, and what drove that? That's important as well. In between there, there might be some steps um, to keep track of. You know, there's, there's this sort of term, they use the MQL, the marketing qualified lead, or, you know, there's this sort of middle touch where, what was the point when this person who'd signed up maybe for the newsletter or filled out a partial form, partial intake, at what point did they sign up to schedule something? That's usually that other step where it's transitioned from the digital world to that physical world, a human's getting involved. What was that part? Like keeping track of the number of people we've transitioned from ethereal, digital, you know, bits and bytes of a person to now they're on the phone with us or now they're in our office. That, those are the numbers I like to keep track of. How many, you know, it could be appointments, it could be scheduled phone calls, that next step where it, it got into the real world. That's one that I like to look at a lot. It, the beginning, the end, and that middle where we became real. Makes sense to me. Yeah. So this is kind of in line with what you're talking about there for getting data and, and those particular things to look at. But I am wondering about segmentation. So law firms are typically using kind of on the edge of a CRM, more of a case management system, but it has a lot of the same information listed. Are there kind of tips that you have for thinking about how to segment your your leads and in that automation process to get a little bit more of the, the personal touch to lead to better data, those types of things. Yeah. You know, for me, it's been over this past year, work around buyer personas. And I think this kind of practice extends across all industries, just understanding our buyers better. And, and I think this is something that has had a lot of confusion, even for me. I mean, I've been in marketing for years, I guess a decade. I don't even want to claim that or more because it makes me feel old. But it's one of those topics that I think we've avoided in marketing as well as we've avoided just in general practice. And it, it's understanding the process and understanding a little bit more about the buyer, not just their case, not just what they're bringing to us in their particular situation, but what was the process they went through to find us? And I had the, the luxury of interviewing a couple 
amazing people on this topic. And one was Adele Ravella. She wrote the book, Buyer Persona. And she literally schooled me on the podcast because, and, you, and it's kind of embarrassing, you can hear me being incorrect in, as I'm learning from her. And she actually corrects and like it gets me to an aha moment while we're chatting. But I had kind of just always thought, okay, you know, clients, almost like a demographic, like a profile, like a most wanted profile. You know, this type of clients, they're, you know, between... 30 and 50 and they usually have pets and they like, you know, traveling to the islands and, they, you know, it's like that sort of general type information. Well, when I, you really think about it, none of us do that too much because it's not very actionable. Okay. Knowing that you, you may or may not more likely have a pet or not, I may send you a, a pet Christmas present, but it doesn't really tell me how much to get, like to get more of you or to help smooth out the process to get more clients like that. And so, the persona is actually different. The persona actually starts with interviewing your clients and asking them questions. And it doesn't have to necessarily be the attorney doing this. It could be the marketer on the team. It could be someone on the team just taking the time to ask the question of when you first began this process to look for someone, this is usually the first question. When you first began the process to, to look for someone, you know, what was on your mind and, and where did you go to look for it. And just describe for me that process and just describe for me your experience. What did you do? You had this thing happen and what was in your thought process? And you start asking these common questions of people and the follow-ups are amazing. I mean, it's like a cross-examination, but a little friendlier. And you're just wanting to know in their minds, how did they shop really is how, how you're getting to it. How did you go about the process of finding me? Right. And I think a lot of us simplify that. You have it on a form. How did you hear about us? And then, you know, there's like radio ad and a couple of generic things or people type in, you know, their friend or something. But to actually take a little more time, you don't need to do this to hundreds of people. Literally 20 is enough. But you start doing that and you see some trends. And I remember an example that Adele shared with me is that she did this process for a particular uh, John Deere subsidiary uh, or a subsidiary where it was, um, this was in like multiple geographies. They sold to multiple geographies, um, languages, currencies. It was a key product they had in this particular company and thousands of buyers, thousand different industries, you know, many different industries would purchase this equipment. And she did in some interviews with different people and she started to see some patterns. And, you know, and Gio, I throw it to you, you know, a company like this, how many personas do you think they had when she interviewed many different people? They had multiple geographies and buyers and industries. Um, a hundred. Right. You would think something would be crazy like that. And then as a marketing team, you'd be thinking, oh my gosh, do I have to do a hundred nurtures? Come to find out there are only two buyer personas. What? Only two. <laughs> there are only two different, different ways that people purchased. And to kind of oversimplify what she was saying, it was essentially, there was a newbie buyer who had never bought this type of equipment before that really wanted to see some examples of how you use this to create new business and new opportunities, um, these businesses. And then they definitely wanted to talk to someone right away to kind of get that sense. And then there was the experienced buyer who had bought this equipment before. They wanted to see a comparison chart. That was like the common trend. I need to see a comparison chart. And I do not want to talk to someone. Do not call me. That'll piss me off. Don't call me, right? And so you could see how these two buyers bought in such a different way. They shopped in a different way. They acted in a different way. And if you just had a single approach to marketing, you would, 
you would tick off half the people on that list with whatever you did. But by dividing them up, and they were able to use some advanced dynamic content and Pardot and these kind of things, they could show different countries and languages. And they, and they could attack industry with just a simple picture, just to show that, yes, we relate to your industry. But then the messaging they only had to create two different nurture campaigns because there's only two different ways people were buying. So to kind of take this into the modern day and to like the present you know, conversation, it's like, how are the different ways that clients come to you? And there are different kinds. And probably people are thinking right now, yeah, there are some different categories of people that, that come to me. And, and this is without even asking them these specific questions and giving them a little bit of that investigation. You may find there's only two or three different ways that people are coming and, and buying from you. And as soon as you can identify which one they fall into, you can get on them on that nurture track that treats them the way they would love to be treated, love to be shopped. And no one else is going to be doing that. So you're going to stand out is speaking their language and they're going to want to sign up with you. Wow. I mean, honestly, Casey, my mind is actually blown. That is because I, I, I was going to say one of my critiques of buyer personas is that I think um, it's one of those things where I say it and I think it's important, but I also internally kind of roll my eyes and cringe a little bit. Right. And it's because it's this sort of if you're thinking about, oh, you know, 25 to 35, they have a dog, you know, <laughs> yeah. they live in the suburbs. That's sort of an ethereal thing. And then when you have someone who doesn't fit that mold, you're kind of like, oh, my buyer persona, you know, it's it all goes up in smoke. But when you think about how they are, you know, essentially making a purchase or for lawyers, how you are retaining them as a client or what that client retention process looks like that just flips it on its head. And that's, that's really at the essence of buyer. Totally. It's step number one. And in the quote from Adele was something to the effect of most of what passes for a buyer persona these days is actually a profile and profiles aren't very actionable, you know? And that's why we sort of haven't really done them is because to your point, yeah, you, you've done a profile, you have a picture of a fake customer or client, and you're like, okay, well, what do I do with that? I don't know. But you could see how when we do the real persona, you're like, oh, well, they want to talk to people or they don't want to talk to people and they want to see a comparison chart. We don't have a comparison chart. We need to make one. You know, and so that all of a sudden these, all these different thoughts come to mind. And, and part of this buyer persona research is too, is like, what resources do you trust? When you were shopping for me, when you were looking around and evaluating firms, what do you trust in that process? Oh, I hate the comparison things, or I never look at reviews, or I always look at reviews. And then then now you know where to invest your time and money. Okay, two of my buyer personas are all about reviews. Well, let me let me double down in some review marketing, get some of my clients to be up on there and get some five-star ratings, or not, if it doesn't actually matter. And that way you're not just blindly spending your time and money, you're actually going for the the paths that, that were already already walked already by the clients you want. Yeah, this is so great. I mean, I know it's going to be hard for lawyers the first time or your your intake specialist the first time you ask those questions of our reviews when you were searching for a lawyer, how important are reviews in your process? But, you know, if you think about what you just said, you only have to ask, you know, 20 people to figure out those personas. It'll get easier by the 20th and then you can continue to ask always or or then you've got your data right there. Totally, Love it. totally. And one thing to sort of add to that, just a, you know, another aha moment. Ellen Naylor, amazing, amazing woman, has a book called Win Loss, and what she actually does is not just interview the twenty 
or so people that chose you, but she will actually go and interview for you the people that did not choose you, that chose someone else. And what's funny is, I mean, she's this uh, amazing lady. She's so kind. People just tell her everything. She's the person at the grocery store. You just can't help but tell about your day. And so uh, when she talks to people, she's asking them the same question. You know, when you were evaluating people, you know, what sources did you trust? You know, what process did you like? And, you know, and, and why did you choose those people? Now, if you ask them that, they may be shy, not want to tell you or Certainly, if you were the one they talked to, they don't want to disappoint you and tell you bad things, usually, unless they're from New York. But everyone else, they'll tell Ellen and they'll tell people. So consider having someone reach out to those that didn't sign and say, you know, hey, no problem. We understand, you know, we're not the source for you now, but we'd love to learn more about why you made this decision. And sometimes you learn more from the failures, right? We've all experienced this. You learn more from the failures than you did from the ones you you won. So just taking a, a little bit of time to ask them and not even not even kind of putting something forward, you know, by su- suggesting a particular source, just tell us about the process and they start going down a path. And then you, you kind of key in on some of the things they've said and, and ask the follow-up questions and start discovering the paths that you want to address. You know, one one thing I wonder about this is your opinion on if you can do that, if you think you can be successful asking those with a, you know, sort of auto survey, Google form kind of a, a thing. Yeah, the answer is no. And um, this is what everyone who's an expert on this topic has told me. And the reason why is it's the follow up question. And this kind of ties into, you know, tied into cross examinations, tied into, you know, all the different types of interviews you've probably had professionally, it's not so much that first question, but it's the, you, you hear something and it strikes and it's like, interesting, you know, they got really excited when they said X or they got really angry, like in asking, well, tell me more about that. And that's what a survey can't do. And the other thing with surveys is you can toot your own horn. I mean, and we've all taken these surveys where it says, you know, what did you think of this experience? Um, it was a fantastic opportunity it really helped my education, it really helped my career, or it was just plain old fun. Well, what if you don't fit any of that, you know? Um, Sometimes by even just having the bullets themselves, you can shade everything, you can bias it. A lot of the marketing testing experts I've talked to, you have to be aware of your own biases. You may be just trying to point people in the direction of, oh, let's do more of this marketing. So in, instead, you're saying, take me back. And you can hear um, Adele say this to me. She's, Casey, take me back to when you first decided you wanted to get marketing automation. Why? What was going on through your mind? Take me back to that time. What, what was going on and what, what were challenges that were you, you were facing, right? And I just start talking and talking. I mentioned, oh, I, I, you know, I just started a new job and I wanted to really turn things around the company. She goes, oh, you just started at that company. And I was like, yeah. And so what she identified was there a particular persona for marketing automation was the new employee coming in wanting to fix things up. And that might be a persona that if you're selling marketing automation, you could go after, right? But she wouldn't have necessarily known that from a survey. She had to hear me say it. And then it was that follow-up where she dug into it. So it does require a little bit of that effort, a little bit of that expertise to get in there. But I mean, the rewards are so much better than just like a, a cut and dry survey. Gee. Any remaining questions? No, I think we have nailed this topic. I have learned, I've been writing some notes down. I've learned some new things. I've had a great time. Do you have any final questions for Casey? No, I mean, I I mean, I think we could go on and on and on. We joked before we started recording that we could talk for three hours, and I think we actually could. But I think 
Casey, you as a podcaster have um, just are able to get your message across so clear and people are going to learn so much about marketing automation from this episode. I am super pumped for people to hear it. Well, it's been awesome coming on here. Obviously, it's something I'm passionate about. And if you don't mind, I actually, my book just went live on Amazon. And yes. I would love to tell you about it. And it's all yes. about what we're talking about today, right? It's all about marketing automation. It's, and it was just me just pouring out my passion and talking about the capture, the nurture, the automate, and just getting that into written format. Tell us how to get more Casey in our lives. Yes, more Casey. So you can go to Amazon. You can just look for, search for my name, Casey Cheshire. It's usually the easiest way to get it. I've only got one book on there, so it pops up at the top. There's also a URL. It's go.cheshireimpact.com slash book. And that's actually, uh, that's a, a link on Pardot, on marketing automation. So if you click through that link, it actually tracks you in Pardot, right? So it's like, using marketing automation for all sorts of different things. And that's the same kind of way you track direct response, the same way you track that people want to call me, did people want to click on my link? So it's those kind of things. We're, we're trying to show you, not just teach you about these things, but show you how the marketing automation works so you can copy it, straight up copy it, take the best of what works and, and use that in your own practice. Yes, this is awesome. I wish you the best of luck with your book. I'm looking at it now. It's got an amazing rocket ship on there. And I also want everyone to check out your podcast uh, that Guy and I have actually both been on, The Hardcore Marketing Show. That's a, a great one, and it's how we got connected with you. And I am going to, right after this, start listening to that episode about buyer personas. Uh, yeah, it's episode like three, I believe. So uh, it was amazing that she talked to me so early on when I didn't even know what I was doing back then. <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely check her out. And yeah, I really appreciate being on here. I had so much fun chatting with you. And, and I remember when I first heard your episode, uh, you guys have such a great chemistry together and, and, and it's so much fun to listen to. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Too kind. Too kind. Thank you, sir. And thank you. To all of our dear listeners, whether new or regular subscribers, for those of you who just stumbled upon this podcast, congratulations. Please don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you like to get podcasts. And please don't hesitate to leave a review, good or bad, positive, negative. We want to hear your feedback. Thank you so much. Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. We're out. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
Well, after Guy's cleverness, let's just roll into the episode. Here is our interview with Casey Cheshire. Here is our interview with Casey Cheshire. No, leave that one. That's the one. Do the one with the F-bomb. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.